Oh, hello. Okay. All right. Well, welcome to Sunday then. Uh, uh, Sangha UK uh, AM here in Thailand. It's four in the afternoon, and I'm really so glad to see all of you. That's great. Nice uh, welcome. I'm happy to have so many friends. <laughs> <laughs> and so, Marcus, you were about to uh, take us all into question land. Please proceed. Well, is it so much of a question? I just wanted to hear your guys' thoughts and opinions uh, and such, or, or just to throw the topic out there that, um, um, f for one, in, in, in Thailand, like marijuana has been decriminalized to, to some degree. It's been removed from um, the controlled substances list. It used to be, a, I think it was grade five, and it's been taken off, and the legislation is being changed so here in where i live in thailand it's quite common for people to smoke and um i made me a part of thailand you know for sure where nobody smokes <laughs> i'm not sure there's, okay. there's even a smoke season here where it gets really smoky from the from the farmers burning the the rice crops to prevent snakes and and, and such like that but um, yeah, a lot of people here do smoke. Mm -hmm. Yes. Um, in fact, one of my humorous little points, because I've actually confirmed it on Google, but <laughs> um, I got interested in it when I went by a whistle stop and saw that the name of this small little town was the same name as a very famous city already by that same name. And the name is Ganja. Naberry. Mm. Okay, except it's kind of said is Kanchanaberry, but it is Ganja Naberry. And that it was even in the US. I was actually um, at Watt Fremont, where I had a conversation with um, a layman and a monk that that place is world famous, at least within the Sangha, of being a pot heaven for monks in Chinaberry. <laughs> and this is the same famous Chinaberry that is uh, up there at the Three Pagoda Pass, which is the, uh, one of the bases for the railroad that the Japanese were building, and it's located and situated on the River Kwa. Mm. This is it. That's that whole story. And I've been there and done that and all kinds of things. It's a very, very interesting part of Thai history of um, <clears throat> actually how marijuana has played a part in the politics of this nation over many, many, many generations. Didn't the Thai government or royalty like condemn uh, ganja smoking people? Yeah, yes, and the reason for that was because of the Vietnam War and the um, the Treaty of Amnity uh, and the U.S. relation. By the way, the Treaty of Amnity didn't come from that time. It was from a previous war back about World War One time or something like that. But the U.S. really, really muscled their way into Thailand because of this Treaty of Amnity. And that was one of the things that uh, that the uh, the troops would come back uh, 
from their ganja heaven in Vietnam, and they wanted them to dry out in Bangkok, <laughs> which was a ganja heaven here in Thailand. And so the gov the U.S. government was uh, really heavy duty on uh, the ganja from that perspective. But I have actually been in, in and around situations where uh, a Thai person took the fall for a prolong and wound up having a 700 baht fine. We're talking $20. And that was it. And the only reason why it was that high was because there was a sniff of a piranha around. <laughs> and it's a racket. There's another aspect of that that's quite silly, and that is is that the Thai government will often prefer, if they're going to drug bust, to drug bust an American so that they can haul him up in front of an American uh, uh, embassy dude to say, look, we're doing what you told us to do. Here's our jailbait to prove that we're enforcing the law the way that you want us to. Well, see, the laws are changing all over the world, even in the US. And because of that, Thailand is reverting back to that it's a natural part of the culture here and always have been. Robert sits in California, right? Yeah. Uh, your your mic is kind of um, uh, muffled and it's hard for me to understand. Ah, okay. That I'm sounded trying, a little better. Trying to put the gain a little up. Oh, it's next. Sorry. The setup is a little bit experimental right now because I'm sitting in a public library. I couldn't get a room. <laughs> so <laughs> I'm sitting with a mask and a sure mic. Actually, I'll go ahead and confess I'm experimenting also with this creature. Condenser mic with boom, the whole nine yards off a of there. Uh-huh. Vocal booth around and then that's couple wrap. Yeah, the whole nine yards, nine dollars. <laughs> Three hundred baht. <laughs> sixteen. Nine bars for sixteen bars. <clears throat> so anyway, uh aside from uh mics and booms and all of that, uh uh you had a question? Sure, it's Mike. Just a, a topic of discussion, I suppose. Um, and I, I guess, I guess, in the past, I, I uh, well, you know, that's hairy territory. But um, let's say sankaras have been built up and uh, cultivated to where that would be kind of an introspective escapism, um, you know with marijuana or, or something like that. And also for, for you know, sensual desire and, and, and just, um, uh, you know, having a good time, I suppose. But ev even that's like, for example, the, the Buddha, I guess, would have said uh, that the all is on fire, like everything's burning and so, forth, so on and so forth. But then I, I, I also kind of just wanted to kind of test the waters a bit, I suppose, in that I, I can be comfortable um, during that. I can enjoy myself. You know, I don't have to do anything in particular. I can just kind of sit 
I um, worked on because I think my my hips have always been quite inflexible and it's quite uh, it was quite difficult for me to sit on the floor. So I, I worked on some yoga and stuff and, you know, opened up my hips and now can sit on the floor quite comfortably and uh, still, which is very, very nice. Um, yeah, so <laughs> I wonder what you can get out of that. Uh, well, okay. You You were talking about marijuana and now you're talking about uh, sitting comfortably in a sitting posture, and I assume somehow <laughs> they're related. <laughs> yeah, I suppose. Yeah. Okay. All right. Well, these are some of the things that I know that I don't mind sharing, though some will con be convinced that it is controversial because Western Buddhism is highly westernized in the sense of a set of rules of uh, this is a no-no and and that uh, etc and an example to start off with is um let's let us go ahead and put it out there the fifth precept sura nerdia macha pamatadana vairamani sakabadam samatiyami Sura, Nerea, and Macha are actually the same as like beer, wine, and spirits. Forms of alcohol. And the whole point then is Sura, Nerea, Macha is the Padana, the heedlessness, the loss of mental capabilities. Drunk. Right. That's the whole point. That's why they don't want you uh, out on the highways drinking. That's why they don't want you at work drinking. That's why they want you flying drinking, especially if you're the pilot. Right. OK, now you're getting the point. That's what and the Buddha knew about that long before um, Asia Airlines did. <laughs> It's a well-known and well-understood point, and that was added to uh, the other four precepts that are actually in the suttas, that this issue about alcohol does not mean that you have to absolutely abstain from alcohol, because alcohol itself was also considered a medicine, both internal and external. But you can do anything overboard. It depends upon, you know, what's going on. And we can also then go in the same direction of medicinal marijuana. That for many, many generations, the U.S. government didn't want any, many, any at all medical research done on marijuana because they didn't want to find out that it had some value. They just wanted to make it illegal because there was racial components built into it. And so... Th times are changing and people are beginning to discover for themselves a kind of a balance. And we can see that that balance would be about alcohol. One of the ways that I have actually, um, uh, let us say, coached some of my friends that when you're in the situation 
uh, to where someone hands you a drink. Just accept it and sip on it, but don't drink it. Just leave it almost completely full. And if somebody wants to have a toast, you've already got a drink. You can go ahead and sip again while they're doing your toasting. And you never finish it because you're very mindful of what you're doing. That's a very good exercise. That's the same. You put that one in the same category that Vikram Buddhadasa puts that uh, when the body is sick, that's a really good time to practice. When you got alcohol in your hand. That's a really, really good time to practice. <laughs> <laughs> so, um, we can also then understand exactly the same things with anything. And that is, is that everything has to, in fact, be investigated for what its value is. And each one of us has to do that evaluation and that investigation on an ongoing basis. Because sometimes you feel like a nut and sometimes you don't. Sometimes you really like getting stone, some uh, stone, and sometimes you don't. And so this is the thing to begin to watch with that. Now, let me give you some deeper evidence from that, and that is, is that I normally talk about the suttas, but here we're going off into the vinya because. Can I ask an interlude question? Yes, go ahead. Um, where is from the Buddhist perspective? the tipping point from occasional to addiction. If you find a Buddhist measuring that tipping point for you, handing it to you on a golden platter that also <laughs> has a sword on it ready to strike you down dead if you don't obey it, you can kiss that friend goodbye for the moment. <laughs> yes, as I just said, each one of us is going to have to continue doing the investigation without doing it according to some rule or some breaking point or some guideline. This is all about wisdom, not boundaries. Wisdom is out there without the boundaries. We have to watch for the cow pies because mm. we're in the pasture. <laughs> Skill. And so as I was about to trot off down the pasture of Avenia, there is sections of it uh, and that there is a medical section. And in the medical section, there are things that monks are allowed and not allowed. And almost always it has to do with the item, what it's made out of in the sense, is it valuable and possibly worthy of being stolen? So if it's made out of bone, that's okay. But if it's ivory, no, now it's valuable. If it's made out of metal, what kind of metal? Is it brass or tin? That's okay. But if it's made of silver or gold, that's not. If it's made from ivory, that's not okay. So this is the, uh, I think that Marcus, you know that the story about the value of the items. Um, to be honest, it, it's not, it's not sounding too familiar. I did I did look at um, requirements for monks, and they have to kind of weigh whether it's worth um, using or eating 
in terms of medicine and such like that, and considering the merit of the donor and, and stuff like that. But this, um, not too familiar. Okay. Um, this is the idea then, and also the idea that the monks are going to go not just on Bendabad, but basically roundabout. That nine months a year, the monks are free to go. That in fact, in the Thai forest, there's a lot of campgrounds that are just set there for the monks and they use it on an infrequent but regular basis. There's a whole set of paths that I don't even know about. That would be one of the things that if I could go back as a young man to do is to hike down from Bangkok to Watsu and Mok with the tribe because <laughs> they they did it on a regular basis way back when. And they never got anywhere close to the highway. The only highway from Bangkok to Watsu and Mok, they didn't take it. They had their own path in the woods. And so the stony um, paths, I, I guess. For the, feet. What was the, the stony paths for the feet to learn. His, his uh, sound was really muffled. Uh, Marcus, can you repeat what he said? I think the stony paths. For the feet to learn for, for the surveillance. I can't get it. Mm -hmm. <laughs> um, I think I heard you say in another video that uh, your, how do you call it, your your teacher uh, used to sneak up on you, and also when you had to go on I wouldn't say that he actually did <laughs> activities that approached that of Dracula or a child sneaking uh, on a tiptoe in a cartoon kind of way, that he was much more gentle and subtle about it. Yes, yes. He just course. walked, so it wasn't sneaking at all. But I'm accused of that often myself. <laughs> I don't know if, of my use of, of the English language is so... Um, represents always the subtleties I want to express. So, okay, so doing pretty good. Is is there a question in there? I didn't catch it. Uh, just the uh, um, associative thought of uh, hearing you saying something about paths and uh, the stony paths to to educate your mindfulness of where you step and where not to step. More of a comment than something leading to the point you're, you're leading your sentence up to. Sorry. I'm catching bits and pieces of it. The microphone is heavy. Your microphone's quite low now too, Demaretto. Oh, really? In uh, volume, yes. How is it now? Better, I think. Okay. <clears throat> okay, so the uh, <clears throat> I'm really not able to understand. Uh, what you were talking about after we were speaking of sneaking up, I didn't catch what it was. 
Marcus, can you repeat what he said to make Contem it easier? I think, I think perhaps, um, perhaps what he's saying is that the path or the territory is a bit more rough and that you have to watch where you're stepping and, and build up the strength of the feet, maybe. The mindfulness, mindfulness. And mindfulness, Sati, yeah. Right, to wake up and look at where you're going, yes. Yeah, exactly. You have fewer injuries or maybe no injuries at all when you're walking. Right. Yes. Mm. So Instead that's of actually... walking the, the tar street. Yeah, so that's why the literal practice of walking barefoot is because you really have to watch where you're stepping. You yes. have to really be here now, or you're going to step on something you don't want to step on. Exactly. And so um, <clears throat> we can take that then to everything to watch what's going on, to be here now, to wake up. That's what the practice is about. And sometimes there are, uh, let us say, situations that give us a new opportunity to investigate and to practice again. And so in investigation is the important thing, rather than some standard or some rule or some precept or some law or some cop or something on the outside that almost always has punishment rather than rehabilitation. Here we're using a wisdom so that we can find out what it actually the dangers are and rehabilitate ourselves from that gratification. So then it doesn't matter anymore. So going back to the point about the Vinaya is in the medical group, they have an, a group of items that are allowed. And um, some of them, actually there's a small group of these things are given as a gift uh, to a, each new monk as he's ordaining there's a little package of stuff it's got a razor and a water filter and some various pieces of cloth that have various uh uses and things like this um but other things are allowed for him to acquire along the way and so one of them by the way is a pipe a smoking pipe. At least it appears for all intents and purposes to be a smoking pipe. Though the first translation, rough translation that Tanisaro did, he wanted to call it a tube. Which only made it made it look like it is more like a chillum than something that uh, Sherlock Holmes would carry around. <laughs> and so um the question then, right off the bat, would be if the Buddha is going to not only allow but specify not just a smoking pipe, but a two-sectioned pouch for it, one for the pipe and the other one is just not mentioned so much, and the, and the monks already have permission to make fire. Fire is something that is done by the monks uh, for for other purposes. The funny one is everything except cooking food. 
because the monks are not allowed to take raw goods that have to be cooked because that's too much work. But fires for purification of water and, and other things like that uh, is allowed. So if a smoking pipe is allowed, what is it that the, that the monks are allowed to smoke? The first thing that we can look at is tobacco and recognize, no, no, tobacco did not exist in India until the British brought it more than a thousand oh. years later. In so, Myanmar, so, they are hard on the on the cigarettes and cigars. Pardon? In Myanmar or Malaysia, uh -huh. very hard on the cigarettes and cigars, monks smoking, walking around smoking. Yes, yeah. but there but there is less hardness on it in other places. Depending upon whether they're following the newly minted social traditions that have been brought about by propaganda, or are they going to go strictly by the Vinia? Uh, the Marlboro man and something like this. Right, right. So not only the Marlboro man, but his nemesis, the guy who's after him. Who's that? Joe Camel? <laughs> they <have to> kill <laughs> each other. <laughs> Mr. Cancer. <clears throat> so. Yes, tobacco is a real product with real problems, and if we keep it real, we'll understand the dangers. And we start weighing that with the gratifications and we'll find the escape from it. But meanwhile, the monks in the time of the Buddha were already escaped from tobacco. But they did still have and known as industries of both uh, opium and uh, ganja. That in fact, they harvested it the same way, came on coming up with similar products. One is called hashish and the other one is the opium ball. By slitting the opium thing and let it drip, then they take their hands and wipe it and keep it, pull, put the, the stuff on their hands. The same thing they do with the marijuana bush. They just go by and they don't kill the plant. They just suck up all the oil that they can get onto their hands and then scrape it off and boogie them down the road. And then that stuff gets balled up and put into a pipe for smoking. That in fact, the history of this is actually in the Vinaya that the reason that the Buddha made a pipe available was because without it, the way that they would do it would by setting a string or a small piece of cloth that was tied as a knot in the form of a string. And get that lit and then put the opium or the ganja on that little stick uh, of, of string and then hold that up. That was the old way of doing it until they got the idea of having an empty reed kind of pipe. Which are now quite quite common all over Asia in whatever various shops you can find all kinds of paraphernalia, most especially in India. So um, the, the point then is, is that the Buddha did not, it appears, outlaw opium or ganja that were widely available at the time, but whether he provided for their usage. And I raise that as a question. Very funny question for you to think about. 
And in thinking about it, that's also the experimentation. If you're going to experiment, you're already going to experiment. You're not going to change any behavior because Damarato stands here with his finger pointing out and says, don't you dare do that. Don't you dare look at what you're doing. You do whatever you're doing blindly and you do what I tell you to do. <laughs> no. no, that doesn't work. No, whatever you do, you're going to do. Do it wisely. And to know that it is not necessarily a tragedy, that it does have some value to it. That in fact, some of the very behavior that, that is a hallmark of being stoned sounds very Buddha-like now, doesn't it? Just sitting there with no place to go and nothing to do and not a thought in the head, not even the munchies, just sitting there. <laughs> But if you go with a kind of a Buddhism that has rules to it, the rules will say, oh, you have to follow the rules. Oh, you can't do that. Oh, you can't experiment. Oh, you cannot find what value things have. You've got to, to uh, refrain from that without finding out what advantages that it actually has. I don't know of a medication. The doctors are knowing this. In fact, part of the reason why in the U.S. they don't want to have marijuana is because mm -hmm. the, then Pfizer doesn't have quite the business that used to. But people are switching from marijuana, which is a much more wholesome thing to do than to all of the stuff that they're manufacturing in their pill labs. Mm. In other words, the advice is wakey, wakey. <laughs> Robert, you got your hand up. What you got? Um, Damarato, do you partake? Do you um do you smoke ganja? I have. Do you think it do you think it's helpful for like meditation and stuff? I convinced myself that it was. <laughs> yeah, I know lots of people have. Through through direct observation, a whole lot of direct observation, I convinced myself that it was. And then both further observation said, eh, not so much to it. Yeah. And then nothing to it. And so what's the point? Was it did you like develop any skills by smoking it? Like you you learn to like see in certain ways when you're on it and then like you were able to like develop those <laughs> skills after you stopped and like bring them back into like your sober sits. Well, one of the skills that I developed was the skill of denial. Because I would deny the, um, the dangers of ganja. There was that denial in there, could not see the dangers. And as it turns out, the way that I handled it, I mean, I never got arrested, never got busted, never had any kind of, um, uh, <clears throat> in fact, of the few times that I've been robbed in my life, that was one time was a whole ounce <laughs> right out of the refrigerator and away it flew. <laughs> so, um, there, there's dangers, all kinds of dangers in it. And when we start to weigh the dangers to the advantage, 
And now the thing of it is, the funny part is, is that now in this year, as we weigh the advantages and disadvantages, the advantages are winning and the disadvantages are getting the laws changed. <laughs> so it's, it's not really, it's not like especially beneficial for meditation. It's like a placebo. It feels good. Well, is that an attitude or direct knowledge? Uh, I don't know what the difference is between those two. Oh, one comes from a pothead and the other one comes from a rule maker. <laughs> Who's in there? Is that a rule that you've made? Uh, that pot doesn't do you any good, or is it coming from a seasoned pothead who knows for sure, finally, after all of that experimentation, <laughs> no, actually, after all, is not worth it. <laughs> the question is, how long do you need to, to get the point? Ah, that's the whole, oh, right. actually, that's the whole question that I'm actually asking for you. How deep do you have to go? Where is your rock bottom? How deep into the dukkha do you have to go before you wake up to see the dukkha, to see the disadvantage? So you and can't see you... the pipe anymore. Pardon? Well, most people tell you can't see the pipe anymore. <laughs> oh, almost oh, there's a joke about that one, too, and that is the joke about the pipe that got broken at the meditation retreat and there was no pipe left. Where did they go? So there was no smoking what at that retreat. What else are they going to do now? <laughs> so there are disadvantages. But those disadvantages seem to be changing over time. And so there's other disadvantages like the actual value of it. Let us say that if, because like any medication or drug, it doesn't have the same effect on the same individual every time. But there's a whole range of things. There are some times that you'll get stoned and then you'll get really, really freaked out over getting caught. Like being out in public or, or whatever like that. So sometimes you feel like it's okay to be stoned and then sometimes you feel like when you are stoned, it's not okay right now to be stoned. I'm not supposed to be stoned. I could get busted if I was stoned, you know. And then that's the what about ism. So what about isms are just as big and tough and powerful when you're stoned, only you've got a whole lot more material of what about isms to work with. <laughs> I think I think that's one reason why I was quite into it so much was because I guess I, I, maybe this is coming from a long time ago, but I didn't have the sati to um, really see what was going on in the minds. Um, so I'd rely on that because now I can see what's going on in the minds and then I could come out of it. But it's it's a bit of a it's also kind of just creating problems that wouldn't have been there in the 
first place, but also I can enjoy dealing with them too. It's uh, it's uh-huh. a it's a situation for sure. All right. Well, now here's kind of uh, a few things that can be done along that way, and that is is that you have the thought of having a joint or having the pipe or whatever, and then you say, never mind, not right now. I'm okay. Then we have the idea, well, I'm I'm going to be cutting down anyway. I'm just not going to smoke so much anymore. I've got it. I've decided I don't need it so much. And so I'm just not going to get stoned right now. And we practice that for a while. And then when we do get stoned, now is the time to really pay attention. Do you actually like this new effect? Because you see, potheads, if they smoke a lot, they don't even know the difference between what it's like to be stoned or not stoned. They're just in the habit of being, you know, stoned. It kind of never hits, you know, into an area of being not stoned. So if you practice being not stoned, then when you do start being stoned again, now you can tell the actual difference between being stoned and not stoned. You can start also looking at the physiological stuff that happens in the body while doing that. An example is, what is the marijuana do or the ganja do to your blood pressure? Sometimes it takes it up. Sometimes it takes you down. Sometimes, in fact, it takes you so down that your blood pressure gets really, really low. And that's when the doctors come because you passed out. That can happen. That's one of the dangers. And they're done that. <laughs> Pardon? Niroda sama ganja. So, well, uh, it's 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 common thing. It's a lot more common and worldwide and world accepted. And because it's such a, a big no-no in certain places, nobody really knows anything about it and what the real value and the real dangers are. Oh, and yeah. so, what I advise is is that if you want to. If that's what your hope is, if that's what you're longing for, then go for it mindfully. Watch what you're doing. If you're already deep into it and want to come out of it, then now the advice is is what what you're doing by doing without it for a short time. And then watch the effect when it comes in. Sometimes you'll get you'll take that talk after a day or so, and when you get stoned, you say, "Wow, why did I want this? <laughs> What's with that? I felt better with before I toked up." <laughs> and that's when we begin to see the real dangers in it. That it's really not to that advantage. That you're actually better off mentally without getting stoned right now. So there's nothing to it. Not it's not important anymore. Wouldn't a better attitude be? I. I this is complicated though isn't it because there is there is um i guess there are dangers to some extent but um wouldn't a better attitude be i can handle this it's okay or or not right and you can say that both before during and after you lit (laughs) up (laughs) before you can say i can handle this while you're lighting it up you can say i can handle this and then put the lighter down or after you've toked up now you can experience what it what it feels like with the idea yeah i can handle this i can do that but then the question is and what's the point if you're still seeing the value in being stoned then who am i to say don't take that value 
What I am saying is as you're taking the value and the gratification from being stoned, also begin to understand the dangers that are there. Then you have a better choice. And that the Buddha did not make a hard rule about it. Even the rule about alcohol is not a hard rule. It's, it's all about wisdom. Yeah, well, it's like a moment yeah, by moment yeah, Buddhas don't follow nobody's rules. <laughs> They're lions. <laughs> Even you know, even their own rules, they they make it up on the spot. And, right, yeah. and and the rule making guide is dukkha dukkha naroda. What's the best path? What's the easy way out? Right here, right now. Yeah, including, yeah. And, including that sacred time of month or year or whatever when you have to go out and buy it. That's the time to put a. You know, this is dangerous. <laughs> Maybe I can put off this purchase until next week. That's another way of looking at it. Is that it's dangerous to go shopping for some stuff at some places. But in in Thailand, not so much. And on this island, Koh Phangan, this is kind of, you probably have already heard, is a unique place anyway. It's unique. Um, because it's so remote. And uh, especially remote down at Hadren. Because there's a set of beaches down there that uh, are able to be maintained because there's rocks on both sides. But until just, I think it was like in the 1990s, there was no road down there. You had to come to Tong Sala on some big boat and then take a little boat to Hadren. What would be the advantage of infrastructure society in the common sense then for a Buddhist without the Sangha, without lay people uh, giving alms and all this structure? Like oh, hospitals or. We could go down that avenue. In fact, there was a, um, a guy who really did want to get a watch started down there on uh, mm. Hadra. Uh, and I'm sure that the people would have supported it. And he really did want it Western. But it the land didn't happen. That was way, way back then. There are actually quite a number of watches on this island now. There's about 12,000 Thai people, and I would say there's probably between 10 and 20 watts. Don't want what you can't have? Or... Pardon? Like, uh, don't want what you can't have? Well, that's very wise. Is to recognize that uh, that it's better to not want the things that you didn't want anyway. Hmm. So there's some clinging to detach, I think. Uh, Everything is to be investigated. Hmm. Everything is worthy of investigation. And so um, today we've been talking about uh, various activities and, and whatnot. Um, 
that don't really have that much to do with monks. It has to do with everybody's life. Uh, actually, you could go so far as to say that ganja is in fact just another medication. That's all it is. It's got its values. It's got its uses. It's got its detriments. It's got its real dangers politically. <laughs> uh, but that's all up in the air, literally. Um, and uh, back in the 1970s, let us see, here, <clears throat> Malaysia. Malaysia still has death sentences for getting caught with it. I think over an ounce or something. Also in Thailand, they make a distinction between the leaves and the bud, which in, in the U.S. they didn't. Uh, I think that, Marcus, you might know something about that more than I do. But what that does is it allows a hemp industry to where in the United States, the whole plant was outlawed, thanks mostly to DuPont, who had nylon to sell instead. And so the entire hemp industry got closed down in the United States for basically no reasons at all other than uh, hate. hate. <laughs> 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 and not only that, but when you have a whole society, say, of black slaves who are all stoned and high, you can't get them to pick so much cotton anymore. That's true. So that's also an, uh, a part of it. And the same thing was true with the opium that came over with the um, uh, the Chinese in uh, into California. And so that's where the, the those laws came from, as well as uh, the Mexicans coming up the border with their own brands of marijuana. These all of these laws about these drugs are political. Uh, and racial motivated. And so in Thailand, they've got actually a different idea. And the, and the kind of the idea is basically to look away. Except in the occasion of a farong. And then the cops see that they can make some money off of that farong, probably because the farong's too stupid to figure out how to get out from under it. And so he winds up paying his way out. In, in the past, I'm pretty sure because the legislation's changing, um, I don't think that would happen right now. It depends, again, on how ignorant the... Um, uh, yeah, if they're making the, a big deal out of it and the disrespectful, yeah, maybe. Mm -hmm. Yeah, because if the cops come busted in, like, oh, we've got you. Do you know how much danger you're in? We're going to take your passport and we're going to deport you. How much money you got? <laughs> so uh, that's one of the dangers then that's still there. Uh, but it, it's not nationwide. It just is, a, is in this case, it's a, a police tactic. Um, so I don't really know how much. Does anybody have any more questions about this? I think that I've taken this <laughs> this high as far as we can find. Not really. I guess I have some more discussion about it. Um, 
and I really enjoyed um, Robert. It was your call. It was on, it was on uh, hypnosis and guided meditation. That was a really good talk. Um, but before, in a past kind of model of of using marijuana, I guess I would go down the direction, like you know, like the depression. The depression is deep. How low can you go? Kind of thing that's that's the ducker that's the dark night of the soul whatever but um now it's more about paying more attention and wakey wakey and things being light rather than dark and things being high rather than um rock bottom or low or sinking down or you know just a complete uh reframing of all these um especially especially with the marijuana use yeah, and it's good. For Do you me. partake, Marcus? Occasionally, yeah, yeah. But because I, I had no <laughs> I had no work to do for quite some time. And I guess I made my own work in terms of wanting to get um the marijuana and wanting to smoke and you know enjoying it, I guess. If you have no jobs to do, you'll make your own job if you're not completely free. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I was in the middle of a story that I had forgotten about, and that was down at Hadrin. That was the birthplace of what is now known as the full moon party. Mm. And that it's quite famous all over the world. And in fact, Tom just showed me a Facebook photo of what it looked like, the boat, as literally hundreds of people were getting off the boat just for the full moon party. It's like the tourists are back. And so they all came and drove. Um, But nowadays, the full moon party is all about alcohol and very young people. But in the old days, this island was known for its own uh, supply of both ganja and also uh, het ki kwai. And uh, het is mushroom and ki is the <laughs> cow pie and kwai is well, the water buffalo. Oh, yeah, never mind. Different. Yeah, het ki kwai is actually the mushrooms that grow out of uh, uh, the cow pies from water buffalo. And it is psychedelic. And this place became famous for it. And so they would have the full moon parties and people would bring in ecstasy and all kinds of things from hashish. And it was just a great, great big party on this on this island here. And it got started that way. And it's still that way famous, but it's a tourist attraction now. But uh, let us say you don't have to go too far into the fringe to find all the stuff that used to be at the core of it way back when. I'm sure that there are still places where you can get the omelets that are made by with local. Um, but now the marijuana industry is so strong here that they actually have to import most of it that the island is not capable of growing as much as the demand is. 
<laughs> which creates another game, and that is who's got the ganja getting off the boat because the cops are there when the boats arrive so that they can arrest the mule, which is almost always a Laotian. So that the ganja doesn't go into the police station, no, it goes to uh, the police officer's daddy's house where um, it's already part of a, um, uh, a bungalow where they sell the stuff anyway. And so that's what the cops do. The cops rub from each other and 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 whatnot like that. And that's one of the silly games that are that is played. Um, that's brilliant. But uh, the the ganja that arrives on the island is already, you know, well well spoken for. It's well known that people come from all over because of it. That's so cool. that's fun. Thank you for sharing. Well, this is Thailand. It's a different place and uh, with different traditions and, and whatnot. Also, the police uh, are local. That uh, this is well known all over Thailand, that if a cop shows up in uniform being transferred from another district, that's almost a shameful thing for him to have done. It would almost be better for him to quit the police force than to have to go start over again in some remote place where they already are suspicious of this cop getting transferred in. Very interesting, but that's the way that it that it operates. And so um, the uh, all the cops are then local, which means that they're here to protect the local industry. And their local industry is threefold. One is fishing. The other one is um, uh, certain types of produce. One is corn, avocados, um, a lot of coconut, a lot of banana, a lot of uh, uh, pineapple, that kind of stuff. And then the third industry, which is uh, it's it's third on the list for money, but it's also the top industry uh, visibility wise, and that's the tourism industry. There's about 400 bungalows here on the island. Some of them have as many as 100 rooms and they do oh. what they can to take up the uh, the beach area. <laughs> Every little squat of beach area has a bungalow already on it. So if you want beachfront property, you got it. <laughs> cheap <laughs> um how would i let's say pull myself from this whatever subtleties are in there i mean it's kind of a gang mentality wherever you go i mean the the noble buddhist place this may be the only i'm still investigating but it's still the only a place where there could be some hope that through the nobility, uh, this this gang mentality, wherever this is anchored, uh, can be undermined or get some use of it. What what would the Buddha say to this? I, I would actually invite you to look at uh, organizations that are not judgmental, 
or have a new set of rules of their own to follow. That if you can find groups or organizations that are wisdom based so that you're allowed to grow um, emotionally on your own and to not pay so much attention to the rules as that we pay attention to uh, what is, let's say, the easiest thing to do right now. That's where we would look at the Patty Monk anyway, is the easy thing to do is, for instance, to not gossip about a third person. Mm-hmm. It's just easier not to do that, and it's dangerous if we do. And so um, uh, two monks do not talk about a third monk. That's just uh, with the idea of separation. That often we go to complain about a third person, hoping that the person that we're talking to is now going to agree with us and begin to hate that third person also. That vindicates our hatred. That's the whole point of propaganda. Why can't people be satisfied that they hate? Why do they want to get everybody to hate? <laughs> Why? Why? Is it is it okay if the third monk is like uh, like a famous like author, like a Dhamma celebrity? Oh, well, they're the primary targets now, aren't they? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, they true. set themselves up as a target. That's funny. That's also pride, isn't it? Um, It's the way how pride is um, uh, (laughs) uh, symbolized in in the in the suttas as as a target. Or putting up a banner. Mm -hmm. Mm. That's exactly right. That's one of the of the four. Uh, the banner or the target. I haven't actually thought of it like that. I've always thought of the banner as like the flag. Um, like, for instance, the uh, the Roman soldiers, they had a banner, and that banner would determine then who was in charge of this group, how many there were, and things like that. They had uh, ways of telling. It was a signal system that they had. And in the U.S. Navy, in later times, we have what is called semaphore, which means that we can actually spell out messages with the flags. Okay, so that whole concept of a flag actually has to do with the representation or our identification, like who we are, like the the uh, the Democrats have a donkey and the Republicans have an elephant. That icon, that's their flag. Okay. Uh, and so it has a whole lot to do with identification uh, and in that way. But now you're using it in a completely different way, which is actually built in anyway. And that is, is that this flag then is a target. This banner. And the that Roman. Mm-hmm. Exactly. So whoever's got the flag, when you see that flag waving, that's the target. You shoot at that. Somewhere in his vicinity is the big dude, I suppose. (laughs) And there's a whole lot of symbolism about about flags and banners and ID and, and whatnot like that. 
but there's actually a group of four of them that this worth looking at. And that first one is putting down the cross. Now, what we could think of as the cross is like the hilt of a sword or a dagger. And so we can think of them as taking weapons that the first thing we do is we put down weapons. We don't carry weapons in our society. Few people do carry weapons. Harmlessness. Mm -hmm. Right. We don't carry weapons around. The second one is then um, that we don't dig trenches like right now, Ukraine is being they're digging trenches for warfare. This also is referred to as a moat that we fill in the moat. We fill in our ramparts. We fill in our protections. A pathway inside and outside. Right. That we open a pathway. And then the third item is this one of putting down the banner, putting down the target, putting down the identification. We don't identify with things anymore. That I'm not a Republican or a Democrat or an American or this, that, or the other thing. Let them all go. I'm not even a Buddhist. I mean, there's a whole lot of people that look at me and point fingers and say, you're not a Buddhist. I know who you are. <laughs> and so, okay, I'm not that either. <laughs> and so we just don't identify with anything much at all. Other who, than who are you? I don't know. I'm still investigating. Uh -huh. I don't know <laughs> when you go, if you ever figure it out, wait a minute, because it'll probably have changed by then. Wicky, wicky. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Tenth of a second. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, just accept that we are a moving target, except that in that regard, we're just moving, but we're not a target anymore. That in fact, this target is able to move out of the way of being a target so that if anybody picks you out as a target and shoots their slings or errors of outrageous fortune, you can step out of the way. I'm not a target. That's not who I am. I'm not a Buddhist. <laughs> Can't blame that one on me. <laughs> so. This whole idea of the identification of who we are. And then the fourth one is the unlocked door. You can think of that is, is that we open the door to our heart. That in fact, what we do is we close the door to our heart because we want to protect. It's dangerous. I mean, what if death comes knocking? The answer is, it's an open door policy. Is there Let him come right in. Uh-huh. Yeah, that we accept everything as a friend. We open the door, we unbolt the door. Is there a suit uh, reference for those four items? Yes, there is. And I have lost my mind. I don't remember, <sighs> but we can look it up. In fact, you can actually just post those things the, the, uh, to Google. The cross, the bolted door, the banner and the moat or the uh, 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 or the trench. You Suta put those central? Four... Yeah, I'll do it for Suta Central. Sure, they'll oh, have yeah. it. But okay. Google will tell you all about Suta Central. Yeah, those four things should. And I can tell you also, I know for a fact that it's in the Majjama Nikaya. I just don't remember where. Well, that's close enough. Thank you very much. That's the first. That's the first time I think you've not remembered like the exact like passage in a sutta. Ah, oh, 
Oh, congratulations. Oh. I'm finally an old man. <laughs> <laughs> yes, I don't. I don't remember. I'm trying That's to, good, but though. you have an excellent track record of remembering these things. So everyone's human. <laughs> well, that's the whole point is we have to stop trying to be something other than that. That's about the only thing that I'll own up to is yeah, human. Nothing annoys people more than trying to do this. And they, I don't know, in a conversation or even non-verbally, they pick up on this. Ooh, that's trouble. Okay. If people pick up on you not being interested in fighting. Oh, yeah, yeah. Yeah, people like people want to like shit stare and like start. I start know up. people who but, are always yeah, disagree. Yeah. Uh, excuse me. People who are always agreeable are just so disagreeable. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Deliciousness of disagreeableness. <laughs> I think I think it says more about them because like if you were like in a wholesome state you wouldn't need to do that you know you could you could just enjoy anyone's company you wouldn't need to start problems it's hard for me to see the pain it's like seeing a cat in a in a in a sling the more the cat moves the more the sling tightens up it's it's like that Seeing this is very challenging, let's say. Ah, well, it sounds to me like what you would advise the cat to do would be to relax. Mm. And because every move that the cat makes just makes more damage. Without a frontal cortex, mm, chances are very low. Actually, I would say in that regard that the frontal cortex is optional. I mean, most people that I know don't bother <laughs> using theirs at all. <laughs> <laughs> all right, all right at least not, not often enough that they're not watching what they're doing, because that's what you would say, that that's the job of the frontal cortex is looking what's what's going on to take a, you know, to investigate, to see what's happening. So, do we have any wrap-up things to say? I mean, we pretty well beat Ganju right into the ground. Maybe it'll grow now. Keep I'm not looking. sure. We... <laughs> Pardon? I said, just keep looking. <laughs> oh, keep going with the investigation. Yeah, yeah. just keep yeah. Yeah, looking. Yeah, That's yeah, keep really looking. it, right? Keep Keep in, keep investigating, keep noting, mm -hmm. keep figuring out. Yeah. That's the answer to it. Um, and if you do have rules about it, recognize how those rules make you feel. So that you can begin to deal with your own rule systems about what you should be doing and what you're not doing and what's okay to do.
I would say part of the reason why so many men die right after the first or second year after their retirement is because even though they intellectually know that they are retired, down at that emotional level, they are not supposed to be retired. They're supposed to do something. And they're left with no place to go and nothing to do, but a hell of a drive to go do it anyway. Mm. Like the spouse dying before them. Mm-hmm. And so if we can begin to see our own drives that way, or that that script that we read, or that parent ego state that drives us around saying, you got to go do this, you got to do go do that, or no, you can't do this, or no, you can't do that. Getting in touch with that set of rules is a very, very valuable thing to do, is to know your own rule system. Because it's, it's malleable and changeable also. You can do with it what you want to do with it once you know what it is. But you got to catch it first. <laughs> you <gotta. laughs> so look at your set of rules, especially in regard to the things like this that we're talking about that is against some of these rules that we have. Because most of the rules have always been written for other people to follow anyway. Mm. So when you have a rule, that means that you're one of the other people. <laughs> yeah, so we can we can function a little bit more from a place of wisdom, from the direct sort of understanding of, okay, this is beneficial, this is not beneficial. And that can go from moment to moment because the circumstances might also change into what is skillful or not skillful, depending on the situation. So having that situational awareness. Mm -hmm. Exactly so. Good. Well, guys, let's finish this now. I'm really glad that we had this opportunity to talk. It looks like that we're all pretty mellow anyway. <laughs> So, does anybody have any parting words before we go? Thank you, guys. Yeah, thank you. It's been really nice. Thank you. Thanks, everyone. Yeah, this wasn't the kind of topic that you expected. You expected me to wag my <laughs> finger, and all you got was a toe wag. <laughs> me? Oh, no, to be honest, I didn't expect. Um, I didn't expect you to be like like that because it is about direct investigation and direct knowledge <clears throat> okay guys see you later thank you so much yeah, this has been yeah. such a joy i've had i've had a ball here thank you thank you this has been a blast what do you think <laughs> <laughs> goodbye bye-bye <laughs>